Hi there. Thanks again for listening to the Magnificent Whiskers podcast. This week, Colby and I spend our time discussing Dungeons & Dragons the entire episode. And we, uh, we sincerely hope that you enjoy it. No, no that's it. You can, you can go on and listen to the episode now. Thanks. Magnificent Whiskers Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy. Today I'm here with Colby. Hello. Thank you, Colby. I was waiting for the hello. <laughs> uh, we had a little, we've done a little bit of pre-gaming uh, in this instance, meaning that we've been having a discussion before the discussion. Uh, we're eagerly waiting for some responses from uh, you, our listener. Uh, emails, um... Probably singular listener, by the way. What's that? <laughs> Probably singular listener. You, our point. listener, our one, <laughs> our number one listener, whether that means the only one or our best one. Uh, but the rest of you too, if there are any. Yeah, so we're really looking for an opportunity for to respond to your end of our conversation, because without you, this is just another uh, session of Colby and I and our own pontification in the glorified walk-in closet that's located in my house that's presently our studio. Uh, so I'm going to leave some things in the thing so that you can find a way to respond to any of the things that we say here. Um, and please join into the conversation. That is literally the entire point of this, is we're looking for other folks' points of view, and we love to you know, hear what you have to say about it and respond to that, either here on the podcast or um, off in, in you know private messaging. So... That's my that's my plea for uh, for this episode. Do you have your phone sound turned off? I do not, but I think it's I far enough away that it won't pick up. I don't know if I have my phone sound turned off, and I'm, you know, just to not be rude to ourselves, I'm going to do that. Um, so one of the big discussions that Colby and I engage in on an extremely regular basis. Uh, it has to do with one of our favorite games, one of our favorite tabletop games. We talk about Dungeons and Dragons constantly. It does ebb and flow. Sometimes we go on stints where every time we talk to one another, see one another, or in the general vicinity of one another, that's what we're talking about. Um, and and sometimes it ebbs a little bit, so it's not quite that extreme. Oh yeah, it used to be League of Legends. To the used point to be League where, of Legends. Oh, Carrie got so, so mad. Carrie got so mad ass for so long. That's true. Uh, I actually just recently um, got back into my Twitch and because I decided that I wanted to start broadcasting myself playing Overwatch and, and whatever else I felt like. Yeah. Just some more content for the mass, the person, the one person who uh, follows this stuff. It's not nice to call them a mass. It's real, it's... <laughs> but that, I mean, scientifically, they're, you're a mass. Uh, you cannot be created nor destroyed. You matter. Yeah, you matter. That's right. That was an amazing pun. That's our first t-shirt. You matter. <laughs> I like it. Uh, but anyway, so the, the tagline that I put when I initially made my Twitch account was that uh, lol is like crack for me, thought I would share. And then I apparently went through the 12-step program because I don't... And the 12-step program was actually abstinence because my, <laughs> my computer broke and sat at Colby's house for a minute. No, it broke and sat at your house for... A long time. I literally and then didn't sat, have a PC for several years. And then sat at my house for a minute until I fixed it all up. Indeed. And and I'm actually using it even as we speak, and it's wonderful. A little bit of a blast from the past because the the wallpaper that I have on it is of uh, Sonic Rainboom from Rainbow Dash. Yeah. Uh, because my daughter um, is absolutely obsessed with it and still is, and I, I ain't gonna lie, I'm a brony. I'm good with it. Um, Pinkie Pie represent. Uh, so anyway... So 
so Dungeons and Dragons is a thing. I'm gonna do my best to step up my enunciation game tonight because I've noticed that for whatever reason I have mush mouth, and I'm hoping that that subsides a little. Uh, yeah, I've, I've been trying to work on my timber because I realized I'm incredibly nasally, especially in our recordings, so yeah. I'm trying to like bring my voice down a little bit, make it nicer to listen to. That's that's really thoughtful of you, Colby. I don't know that, um, that you do that, man. You I hate know. my voice. I'm sorry you hate your voice. I'm, I'm sure someone loves your voice. In fact, the person that you're seeing right now used to listen to your Let's Plays of Pokemon just so that your voice could rock her to sleep at night, if I remember correctly. It was like yes, her lullaby. that is true. Might be the most adorable how-did-you-guys-meet story I've ever heard in my life, by the way. Oh, no, no. That's not our how-did-we-meet. How let it happen. <laughs> <laughs> no. Because our how-did-we-meet is so much better than that. No, I met my girlfriend to the phrase, to the conversation exchange, Hi, my name's Colby. Response, no, you're an obnoxious fuckface. Indeed. I feel like that's most people's reaction when they first get to know both of us. That's more fair than it should be. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, if and when we ever end up at, like, a PodCon, <laughs> and people come up to talk to us, like, who you meet, I think, may be somewhat shocking. Maybe not, I don't know. It all depends on how great you are at picking up personality over speakers. So... Little history, little backstory um, where this topic is coming from. I personally um, didn't start playing D&D until after high school. I wanted to play while I was in high school, but I was also a what, if we're going to go with labels, just to try to help give some context, I was a pretty conservative Christian when I was in high school. Uh, Would have chosen where I of age to vote for George Bush the first time. Okay, just the first time. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that. so, and I say that because most of the folks that would, were involved in my friend circle that played D&D were also raging potheads. And, well, that is might be the most ridiculous oxymoron I've ever uttered. They smoked a lot of pot, let's just put it that way. Raging is probably they, well, not that the was best my, description. <laughs> I don't know that I've ever met a pissed off stoner. I don't know that that's even possible. Um, so... They just, and I was not about that scene, so I stayed away from all of it. I did create my first character, having never looked at a book, having never, uh, just, just understanding fantasy as a genre in general, <clears throat> and wanting to be part of it. I created my first character, uh, if I remember correctly, um, I, I, I plagiarized the hell out of him, his name was Matt Murdock, but that might be mistake. I might be, I might be mistaken about that. Uh, but I'm pretty sure his name was Matt Murdock, or maybe I just called him Murdock because I really liked that name. Uh, he was a pyrokineticist. He carried a quarter staff, and um, he was angsty as hell because I was in high school. <laughs> so anyway, that was my first character, and then I... What so, edition was it? Um, I told you, I didn't even look at a book. Oh, it wasn't even an edition? It, it was just a character? It was just a character that, okay. I, wanted, okay. I, that I wanted to play. I gotcha. And I started coming up with a story for him because I, at that point in my life was when I first started writing. So I came up with a story for him. And I'm sure if I tried hard enough, I, I, I could dig him up in a notebook somewhere. Because um, you save all of your notebooks. Yeah, well, I've started purging them recently. I've started being intentional about living a more minimalistic lifestyle. Yeah. And as that intention has been brought to bear... I've started to notice the unbelievable amount of shit that I have piled up all over the place that I just don't need. Yeah. I used to develop emotional attachments to my inanimate objects, which didn't make a lot of sense because while we were poor, I, I was not as bad off as some other folks have, that I've talked to. 
And so for me to develop emotional attack, I mean, I'm sure if I spoke with a psychiatrist, they would be able to come up with a better reason for it. But my toys, my stuffed animals, notebooks, old work, old artwork, uh, some of my furniture, I developed an emotional attachment to. And then very recently, due to the need to move around frequently and, and those sorts of things, I've purposefully cut that emotional attachment off on purpose. I... That's and that's difficult to do because uh, it, it's cutting off a natural instinct for you. At Correct, that point. but my ability to correct that, correct it. My ability to alter that mind frame has been so liberating. I and, can understand. And it wasn't for me. It wasn't even about uh, a greater good or a or any of that. I just had too much shit, yeah. and I didn't want to have to carry it. I didn't want to have to carry it. <laughs> I carry so much of your shit. You really have. I, God, I will never be able to repay you. Um, <laughs> except in the food, which we will be partaking in tonight. There Ooh. will be pork chops. Yay. Uh, yeah, so... D&D characters. D&D characters. So, well, now, I'm, we're in history. I'm, we're in the backstory here. Yes. So, shortly after high school, and I mean damn shortly after high school, I got my first opportunity to play D&D. I played with a couple of those very same friends because I actually loosened the stick from up my bunghole uh, and, just, and just got over some of my... I started to grow as a person, is the better way to put it. Um, so that conservative Christianism was starting to release and relax a little. And, and I'm not... I, I am not anywhere near that person today. But... So I, that gave me the opportunity to play with them, and uh, I'm not, you know who I'm talking about, I'm not dropping yeah. any names on purpose just because I want to be respectful to no. their privacy, should but, they but require, it, require it. The gaming group that we had at that time. The, at that, well, you weren't even part of it at that time. Yeah. Uh, this, was, this was even before that happened. Actually, part of the reason that I started that group that you became part of was because this one ended. Mm -hmm. So, first character, I was a gnome rogue... Oh, I remember this. I remember these stories. So this is going to bleed into actually the very first buy topic that I wanted to get into, which was not history. <laughs> and I'm going to give you a chance to get into yours here in just a second. But um, I'm going to segue a little bit and then double back. Uh, this is arguably one of the most legendary characters that I've ever played. And he really didn't... I mean, he's still like third level. Because I've never gone anywhere with him, but his e name is epic Tuck. Epic characters don't have to necessarily be epic in level. Agreed. Like, the memories that you make and the experiences you have are all you need sometimes. I agree. The, but the thing that makes me laugh the hardest about the whole situation is that people who've never experienced him know of him. Like me. Like I never got to play with Tuck, but I know <laughs> Tuck's stories. Exactly. I, I know the stories of beating an, uh, an ogre mage in a lake with a bag of soap. <laughs> I, I know pole vaulting. <laughs> That's right. So Tuck, Tuck was, was that. And then, as one might predict, if your dungeon master is not as talented as he should be in the sense of creating um, an engaging story that's fulfilling for the characters to complete, and instead you end up heavily embroiled in combat and you're essentially in a dungeon crawl, a rogue can very quickly become less fun. He can He's squishy, especially in 3.5. He's squishy. The amount of damage that I was going to do with a Qatar didn't get me very far, especially when I had a half-giant barbarian and an, uh, an elven druid with a giant wolf. Yeah, and if, if your DM doesn't, specifically in combat, if a DM doesn't understand and give you situations to use your skills, like being a rogue in combat can be really good, 
but you need you you can't be in infinite ten foot corridors with nowhere to hide and no place to sneak attack from. Agreed. And also, as a novice player, there is a certain delicate balance that has to be applied to the game in order for it to be considered successful by all parties. Uh, and that was not applied. So I expressed my distaste with that. And this led to my, oh my god, my rogue becoming a were-tiger, <laughs> who had levels in both Barbarian and Scion, <laughs> so he was going to, he was going to end up being an Elocator, which would, in 5th edition, more be more closely referenced as a mystic with the Nomad Discipline, uh, not Discipline, with the Nomad, um... Backstory? No, it's not Background. focus. I forget oh. the actual terminology. So that's what that was Tuck. Uh, so I got to play that. I subclass. Played, what subclass? It's, it's not subclass. I'll look it up. Um, okay. I was gonna let it go, and then you did that. So I got to play about three sessions, and it is discipline. I was right. Okay. I <laughs> uh, got to play about three sessions, and then that ended for a variety of reasons. And I said, "Oh, I know about D and D. I can make my own adventure now." So I had managed to collect the books from that person, started acquiring my own, ended up all in all dropping over $2,000 in books, maybe. That might be a little I bit. I was going to say, over, over 200 No, yeah. No, because each book was between $40 and $60 a piece, and I have over 20 books. That's still under two grand. Is it? Well, but... I was going to say, that, that was also over a couple of years instead of Well, yeah, I'm not saying room. like I walked into the store and dropped two hot stacks, but <laughs> over time, with all the supplements that we wanted yeah, to be able to no, use. We, yeah, we definitely picked up like one or two books here and there, and I, when I was at college, printed off a ludicrous number of the out-of-print ones. Yep, sure because, because I had access to the, uh, <laughs> the entire campus's, like office printer like the one that could print off a 400 page book in 10 minutes and yeah, i did you, that you abused the fuck out of those privileges <laughs> which was appreciated so <laughs> so i just decided to develop my first game and the story itself was really good uh in my opinion and i feel like that was generally a shared opinion and i had tons of players and we'd host people over and carrie would cook big meals and it was great it was it was just a really great time to spend with friends until the sun came up on a frequent basis. It was wonderful. And we, we, that would was... spend we would spend entire weekends there sometimes. Yeah, we would. You're right. So that was, that was how I got into the whole thing. And, uh, yeah. So then my first, um, adventure, I really, didn't quite understand the role of a dungeon master the way one should. So I spent a lot of my time combating combating my players. Adversarial is the term we use for the DM style. Yeah, it was an adversarial DM style, 100%. And I didn't know any better. So um, that was what happened. And I've grown tremendously since then. And, and since then, I also did attempt to redo that story with some people. But there were some players who were a part of that who were not thrilled with the idea that, that it was almost as if I was erasing the history of that happening. Mm. So that ended up uh, not going anywhere, even though it was going very, very well, and I was much more capable of retelling that story. So that's how I got in. Um, and did you play before you joined our group? Very technically, yes. 
so very technically, my first experience with D and D and any kind of like RPG like that was me and a group of friends sitting in the cafeteria f- on finals week with literally nothing, and we sat around. Someone said, "You want to play D and D?" We said, "Sure." We had nothing. We literally just said, "I'm a rogue. I'm a fighter." Okay. And we didn't even ha- we didn't have dice. We didn't even have a coin. So we folded a piece of paper into the rough, rough approximation of a coin with an X on one side and a circle oh on the goodness. other for heads and tails, and we died. We died a lot. <laughs> yeah. But but my first real experience with the game was, um, and I've always been a geek. I've always been a nerd. Um, Whatever that means. Um, everything. Everything that those words mean. And I first played, like, with a book, sat down, played Dungeons and Dragons when I was 16 in high school. Um, it was the group of friends who I met, yourself meeting again, because we had been friends before that, but I met back up with you, met, uh, Carrie and all of her family, uh, and met AJ for the first time, actually, when I came to that first session, uh, came out, uh, was hanging out with everyone while they played, and then that session wrapped up within, like, the week or so after that time that I came in, the Godslayer campaign that you were running. And that next week I came in, and I played my first actual character was, uh, uh, Calamar Bashar. I was a... The half I was, I was a half Johnny... Azamar. You have no idea how hard I had to work yes. to make that happen for yeah, you. I remember because, that now. Yeah, because we were we were playing really funky and fast and loose with how level adjustment worked. Like that was the monster campaign. Yeah, uh, and I, I was playing a half Johnny Azamar, uh, and I was a Hexblade, which is still one of my favorite classes, and I'm so glad that they brought it back for fifth edition. Uh, and it was it was a really interesting character who, for my first character, I really wanted to play with like the. I played with the dynamics between, like, being a literally half-good, half-evil being. Like, he was part genie and part angel. Yeah. And he was a hexblade. And it was it was just... It was very edgelord, it, and I get that. But it was, it was really fun, and I had a ton of fun with that character. Um, that was my first uh, time really playing the game at all. Uh, I, I worked a lot of my like, personal understanding and experiences of fantasy storytelling and whatnot into that. And it, w- it was a ton of fun. Um, that character died and was brought back by a single lucky roll. Yep. Because uh, we played with a system that we called MacGyver points, which were essentially, when you did something super creative or thematic or in character, you would get one of these points, and you could turn in a certain number of them during the game for an extra stat boost, or a feat, or uh, one of the really easy ones was you could turn in one f- to re-roll a die. Yep. And, um... It's like inspiration. Yeah. Only bro- more broken. Yeah, much more broken, but like, our our group at the time was anything if not broken. Uh, and my character at one point died, and... I had failed the save, and our dungeon master at the time let me roll a, a, a D100, so 2D10, and was like, you need to roll really well on this die, or your character is dead. 
and that was my use of my begrapher point, and I rolled a hundred on a d one hundred. The odds of which were just and <laughs> one in a hundred. It turns out indeed, and you also have never rolled as successfully since. So oh, that no. needs to be played out. I actually used all of the luck that I will ever have on dice. <laughs> Unbeknownst to you. Uh, small segue in our D&D experiences, I am legendarily known for my horrible dice rolls. It's true. To, uh, to the point where in a campaign with uh, one of our groups who we play with online right now, um, in the course of one turn, I critically failed... Four attacks with advantage. I rolled six natural ones in one round. It was amazing. It was and it was digital, so it's not like my dice were weighted poorly. The random number generator <laughs> of a well-respected site decided that I was rolling two ones together, two ones together, two more ones together, and my last attack still missed despite not being ones. So I rolled. Three sets of double ones. Roll 20 just flat out decided you weren't doing shit that time. Yeah. That's all there was like, to that. I, and by the way, if someone can run the numbers of the likelihood of rolling six natural ones on a d20 yes, in a row please. for me, oh my tell goodness. me. Uh, and then tell me just how unlucky I really am. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. We long to hear about this. Uh, that would be hilarious. I actually once in my math class, to put him on the spot and to delay what the lesson for the day was going to be, asked my teacher to calculate mentally the probability of shuffling a deck of cards into perfect order. Uh, it's something astronomical, it's by the way. It's astronomical. Like, there, there's something like, I don't, it is literally in the scope of trillions of possible combinations yep. for the 52 cards. Possibly more than trillions, I'm uh, sure. It's... It is a ludicrous, impossible number. Essentially, every time you shuffle a deck of cards, that exact formation has never been shuffled before, by probability. I don't know that I believe that. Like, it, like I there's said, essentially... 50, there's only 52, so I would feel like... Be, only simply because of the sheer number of cards and times they're shuffled, like, let's just say, in Las Vegas alone. Yes, but it's, it's one of those, like... 52 to the exponent of 52, which is how you would calculate that exponential yeah. pattern growth, is a ludicrous number. Fair. It's much higher than anybody, because there's a certain cliff of understanding where it comes to numbers. Like, I'll say a trillion dollars. Yeah. But my ass can't visualize trillion. You know? You no. can't You just, you can't. No. You, you literally can't. Like, uh, they've actually used this experiment when they're talking about money, like, to the level to which people just simply don't understand like world economies yeah because it's describing like this is a dollar and then it shows a stack this this is a hundred dollar bill this is ten thousand dollars it's a stack of hundred dollar bills this is a pallet of these stacks of ten thousand dollars that is a million dollars this is the literally warehouse of money that is a billion dollars and this is the entire state Covered in hundred dollar bills, that is a trillion dollars. You cannot fathom this. The human brain is bad at it. Indeed, that and that was my whole point. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> we were talking. I spoke briefly, and I said I was going to double back to this eventually. So, Tuck is by far not my most legendarily remembered character, or what I might reference as my most legendary no, character. No, no, no. That is a that is another character. That is another character, and, and I'm going to get into that here in just a sec. Um, I, I, that's what I want to talk about. So, I want to talk about who we feel and whether or not we agree, because you and I have played almost every session, or well, not session, but almost every D and D game that we've played, we've played with one another. Uh, I I will you say had I will a say lot of well more than half. Yeah. I will say well more than half. 
and I mean you've had well, a okay, bunch... so that's the case for me then. Yeah. Sorry, you're more D and D popular than I am. I, I lived in another. <laughs> I lived in another uh, city. Was a college student around a bunch of other geeks in a engineering school. It's yeah, true. I played some D and D. No, that's fair. Um, <laughs> some of which I've heard, and you you played other tabletop games as well that were not just Dungeons and Dragons. Oh yeah, were but, like a roll twenty system. Yeah. Uh, for anyone who doesn't, for for those of you who don't know, to to steal a name. Uh, tabletop gaming systems, D&D is the, F Dungeons and Dragons is by far the most popular and known, but there is a near infinite number of You could literally convert any idea into a tabletop uh, game. Well, yeah, there's literally a system, uh, called GURPS that is, uh, literally general universal role-playing game. Sounds like the drinking game for this episode will be how many times will Colby say literally? Well... It is a system that is designed to be applicable to literally, and I mean literally, anything that you could want to do. It's from, I believe, the 70s, and it's aged poorly by, like, modern RPG standards, but it was... With a few tweaks, I'm sure it would be... I've, I've played a system called 2300 in it. Uh, but yeah, no, there are systems, if you want to play... Uh, if you want to play a, a futuristic sci-fi system, they have RPGs for playing space cowboys. They have RPGs for playing cyberpunk warriors. They have Shadowrun, which is magic cyberpunk with dwarves and elves and yep. computer hacking and robots. They have really light-hearted fantasy systems for kids to play. There's a game that there's I don't know if it's... on My Little Pony. Yeah. There's one that I don't know if it's out yet or not, but it's called Pugmire, where you play uh, dogs. Oh, Lord. Uh, it's accessible to kids, and it's supposedly really fun and really good. Okay, uh, can we just be honest about something right now? Kids are not going to play that. Yes, they will. That's not who it's designed for. It, it, it is designed no, it for is kids. It is designed for... It is designed for millennials... <laughs> And it is designed for folks who are maybe whatever the generation is right before ours, who are obsessed with their dogs, who spend all day looking up dog videos on YouTube. Uh, to be fair, though, it is very popular among kids. I'm just like, joking, Colby. Uh, uh, yeah. No, there there are an insane number of systems. There are, e there are even uh, Christian RPG systems specifically designed to be very uh, Christian-centric in its uh, mechanics in its lore, in their characterization, and the goals of it. So if you are a very devout Christian, and some of the themes and ideas in RPGs and D&D, &D especially, especially if you have mentalities of it from the 70s and sort of the moral panic of it, there are systems out there that have been designed by Christians for Christians to be very wholesome and enriching for your religious beliefs and your mentality isn't there a strong argument for the idea that with a proper dungeon master even the themes that exist within the D, &D fantasy realm could be applied to a more christian-centric game oh, or more more pious in general absolutely there are there are sessions i've played in that were very piously focused like everyone was playing clerics and paladins or other characters such as that that or druids who were all focused on very religious wholesome things but there are some people who are disturbed by uh, just the idea that they can play okay. evil characters. That's fair. That and and I think that one of the mentalities that a lot of people draw that from is the idea that gaming in general is oftentimes seen as an escapism, mm -hmm. and the the stereotypical traditional geek and nerd who plays these systems is seen as being sort of 
regressively alpha male in okay. a way. Like, they want to be the violent, angry barbarian who kills all the enemies and has because sex with all the women. Life, because, right. yeah. And, it, and that is stereotypical, but there are a lot of people for whom they want that. They want to be able to... It, there's a reason the term murder hobo exists. <laughs> like, it, it's the idea that it, in a system with no consequences, you can do anything you want. And some people want to do terrible things. It's but true. You can... Don't. This, listen, playing this game will teach you things about your friends that you didn't know. And about yourself that sometimes you didn't know. Yeah, and, and sometimes you, you... So I would recommend that you enter into it with an open mind, but a prepared mind, that you may learn some things about some people, including yourself, that um, that you didn't know, but you can never unlearn. Yeah. Um, I it. can say that I feel pretty lucky that I've not really seen much of that. Uh, most of my... most of, Well, first of all, most of the people that I choose to spend my time around are typically fairly authentic. So if they're twisted fucks, I know they're a twisted fuck to begin with, and I don't invite them to the table. Yeah. I'm, I'm smart enough to not do that. Or if I do invite them to the table, I... It, in session zero, when we're discussing what we're doing, I will lay out the fact that there are consequences for what you do. And if I have to teach you a lesson through this, I will do that. And the book you of Miles Arkness stays on the shelf. Yes. So, so my point to all of to bringing that part, particular topic up was just to say that um, that gives us a little bit more insight into the characters and the situations that we might consider more legendary uh, in, in our group. And, I, and oh, yeah. every time D&D &D comes up and Colby and I are both in the conversation, there's one character that always comes up, whether I bring him up or whether Colby brings him up. And this actually harkens back to Colby's first adventure because we were playing fast and loose with some rules. I will say it truthfully was unintentional at first. We really didn't know. And we thought, we thought that we, we were doing it the right way. We were not. We were wrong. I suspected we were doing it wrong, but I was the You were heavily outvoted. I, I, I was also the new player and it ruined everyone's fun, right. so we didn't do it. Rather than being the blitz, Colby just kept his mouth shut and had fun. Yeah. Uh, and, and so let me also preface what I'm about to go into with, this was some of the most fun any of us had had. We were literally monsters and had the opportunity to do monstery things or be heroes, and we all chose to play monster characters who were, at worst, anti-heroes. Yeah. That being one of our party members who chose to be an incubus bard, and in order to feed himself, of course, had to engage in fellatio. Um, which led to a uh, chastity belt necklace. Um, it was a whole thing. It, it was a long session, it really but it was, was. funny. And, and most of it, it was funny for a while, then it just got uncomfortable because the DM was being pedantic. I played a Minotaur, and the Minotaur was a barbarian, and it was the first barbarian I'd had the opportunity to play. And I played him very nobly. Uh, he was a follower of Cord. And one of the ways that he spent his free time was to erect shelters for other followers of Kord. Kord, by the way, being the god of strength and battle and combat, and essentially the basic ideas of combat being a... A noble enterprise. A noble enterprise, yeah. yeah. Yep, so if you've played like any of the Elder Scrolls games before Skyrim and you engaged in the Fighters Guild, they were typically similar to what... Kordian. Yeah, yeah, yeah they were very Kordian. And so one of the things, and this character's name was Naruk... And one of the things that Naruk would do is he would erect shelters for followers of Kord or other followers, and it was really, you know, come, leave it in the same shape, if not better shape than what you found it, and this, you know, receive the blessings of Kord. Yeah. Um, and, and 
And so that was kind of like a fun bit of flavor text. But really, when it got down to it, he just, he swung a hammer, he was a barbarian, and he was powerful. And he had a weapon. It was a great maul, and it was alive. So one of the things in 3.5, when you played a monster as a player character, you would level, level up with hit dice. So every time you would level up, you would receive a new hit die. And that new hit die would carry along stat bonuses, new abilities. And in this case, I went from medium size to large size. And my hammer grew with me. So yeah. that was part of the reason why it was considered alive, made of wood, made of stone. It had the ability that when it, every time I hit with it, it would automatically initiate a bull rush. And, uh, and that actually came into play because depending on when you, when you initiated a bull rush with a, an opposing character, you would make opposing strength checks for every five points above, uh, your opponent's check that you beat them, you push them back five feet. My hammer would do that automatically. So if you were up against the wall and I swung that thing into you, you were taking falling damage up against that wall. Because you literally pushed them through the wall that didn't move. Exactly. Yeah. And we somehow managed to wind up in the Underdark. I wound up making Umber Hulk pudding uh, a couple of times. Yeah. And, and that so was that fun. was a ton of fun. So we adventured uh, in this particular campaign for a while and got to the point where we were amassing crazy amounts of wealth. <laughs> And I was a barbarian. I didn't need armor. I didn't really want magic items. I had my hammer. So the decision that I made was we were going to find a wizard. And I wanted to get crazy and create something somewhat unexpected. So I sold my dungeon master on the idea of allowing me to become a natural born lycanthrope. It was not hard, by the way. He just had to use rule of cool and our DM. That's for, but it. come on, man. Once once they hear this, anybody who argues with the idea that this was not cool, both figuratively and literally, can get the fuck out. Because I will stand by the idea that this idea was so much fun, and I I, I lament that I was unable to play it. So I decided that you instead mean you of you lament that you created a god. Wait, wait to steal my thunder, bro. Um. So instead of werewolf, because I didn't like the way that that sounded, my Minotaur became a natural born lycanthrope dire polar bear and when we crunched the numbers it turned out that his um adjusted level even with our mistaken level adjustment created this being that was so powerful that i was no i had to retire him i was no longer able to adventure with naruk naruk had to be sent with a world power to train to become a world power or essentially a god and it was because any fight that we would engage in uh, that the party would survive, I would not earn experience. And if the if I would earn experience, they would all be nuked uh, within the first couple of rounds just by the sheer kind of um, collateral damage of the fight. That's how powerful he became. And so he's pretty legendarily known uh, across the characters that I've played um, for that simple fact. And I later created a template for the Incredible Hulk in 3.5 mm -hmm. that was, uh, despite my best efforts, so broken that Naruk was the only thing that I had in my repertoire that was capable of playtesting against it. Yeah, uh, because in following the rules, I built something that could almost fight it, but not quite. Which, to be fair, it was designed to take something that might have been designed to kill it and then use its own abilities against it. It's very jujitsu in that way. 
Um, he had the ability that every time he took X amount of damage, it was like 15% or something of his maximum. It was like every 10, every 10 points or something. No, it wasn't that extreme. It was, it was that extreme, dude. Well, anyway, it was based off the Incredible Hulk. So the (laughs) idea was that when he took X amount of damage, his constitution temporarily went up, his strength temporarily went up. So he got stronger, he got beefier. So Colby is dishing out ungodly amounts of damage in this fight and it, all it's doing is serving to make him stronger and better. Yeah, um, it because, was practically unkillable. Because the problem was as you dealt the damage he his hit, his health was at such a point where the amount of damage you dealt him healed him more than what you dealt him. Yep. Yeah. So, <laughs> so you I couldn't mean, kill him, not right, with damage. Right, but the Incredible Hulk, there's only ever been like one being in all of Marvel Comics existence that's been able to effectively... Uh, damage him to the point where he became Bruce Wayne. Bruce Wayne. Uh, <laughs> yes. Whoops. Bruce, no. Bruce Banner. Yes. Bruce Banner. And that was Century. And that's yeah. the power of a billion exploding suns in a fist. Yeah. Like, that's Like, it. they melted New York City in the process. They, they fucked it up. <laughs> it was pretty bad. So anyway, so that's, pro- that's arguably my most legendary character. One of the more favorite characters across... And this isn't my favorite. This is just favorited in general. Across all of the iterations of the games that I've played would have to be, other than him, would have to be Dario. Uh, Just seems to be received the best, enjoyed the most by the people around me in general. And you were in general having a lot of fun with him. Oh my god, I was having so much fun. Well, Senor Norway Gatos was a blast. (laughs) (laughs) That's, That's arguably the most fun I've ever had. Yes, but as we've said before... Okay, we eventually got the, to the point where he was a character, but for those of you, for for this situation, uh, Jeremy was playing a gunslinger character. Yep. And uh, gun- we'll, be, we'll we'll put a link in the thing oh, because it's yeah. not the gunslinger. It's not Matt Mercer's gunslinger. No, it this was, was Pathfinder. Pathfinder. This was a gunslinger. Pathfinder gunslinger, and uh, in the in the process of trying to make this gunslinger character, it actually took a year or two before we got to play a session with him. Yup. And when we got to the session, you and I were discussing, and you were just like, I don't remember anything about this character. <laughs> this is so weird. I'm, I'm usually really good at this. And I looked at you and said, yes, because your character wasn't a character, he was just a venue for you to play your gun. Because you had entire multi-pages written up about... Taters. Yep, which taters. is an acronym, the Totalitarian <laughs> Equilateral Destruction. I, I don't even remember the rest totalitarian of it. Totalitarian Actuation Total, total Equilateral... equilateral uh, I think we're on D. Destruction. <laughs> equilateral <laughs> Destruction System. system. Yeah, okay. Uh, re- distru- equilateral Destruction Resolution System. Oh, yeah, yep, yep. I think yeah. that's exactly right. Well done. Well done. <laughs> So, yeah, it was a blunderbuss, and uh, Senor Nueve Dedos was a gnome. And I actually dreamt this character up for one of your adventures. Yes, which and, never got to And go. it never got off the ground. And part of the reason that the I lament the idea that that never happened is because as a dungeon master, Colby is amazingly malleable. If you can... what? How did you say it? If you can uh, uh, justify it by... Uh, if you can justify it by rule of cool. Rule of cool, that's yeah, what I was or, going by, yeah. Or if, or if you can justify it by your character. Like, uh, 
This was purely a rule yes. of cool thing, though, yeah, because no, Taters, I, Taters had the blunderbuss, which was hilarious because he was a gnome, but the best part of it was that I wanted to take all of the wonder of a uh, wild mage mm -hmm. and stuff it into my gun, so I invented, uh, when you fire a blunderbuss, you can fire with pellets, you can fire with uh, cartridges, or you can use alchemical cartridges. Which are essentially... Spells. They're essentially magic. They yeah. are chemical magic. So in, instead of like a tangle foot or, you know, something practical, I thought, here's an idea. There is a major magic item known as a rod of wonder. What if we take that, put it in an alchemical cartridge, and I load my gun, and I just, I envisioned the moment where the gunslinger would yell, watch out! And everybody would say, why? And his response is, I don't know! And then just pulls the trigger, and a rhinoceros runs out the yes. front of his blunderbuss, uh, or a ball of flowers, or... Yeah. The, the method, the, the thing that this item does is a rod of wonder, you have a 1 in 100 chance of any one of the 100 random effects Indeed. of this item anytime you use it. And so I went to work, and I probably got about 45 or 50 of these random properties. Oh, you just invented oh, yeah. ones? I, I didn't grab a single one from the book. I just wrote out like 50 random effects. Oh, God. Some of, some of my favorite, one of my favorite of which is you fire the gun and in a 30-foot spread around the target and around yourself, both of you, a 30-foot a circle field of red wildflowers springs up. Oh, pretty. Seemingly useless. I don't like and that you then, seemingly. And then the next round, at the beginning of your round, those red flowers erupt into uh, 66 magical fire. My God. <laughs> it's an like 80d20. Uh, but yeah, so there are definitely... This is one of the things I love about Dungeons & Dragons, is that there are some people... We're going to talk a little bit about playstyle here, but there are some people who play Dungeons & Dragons to have a system to break. They play it because they like the rules, because they want to try to play within those rules, break them, and make something powerful because they like math. They like systems. There are people who like to play within systems, and that's cool. The way that I generally like to play RPG systems is I like to play them as storytelling mediums. And what D&D is, for anyone who hasn't played it, is it is a collaborative storytelling venture. Agreed. Uh, a group of people sit around, they tell a story together, the dungeon master or game master lays out the world, says how things react, figures out what's going on, but it is the players, essentially, who are the ones telling their story and you're facilitating it, in my opinion. And that's how I've tried to run my games since I learned that that is what DMing is. Because it wasn't always that way. For uh, either of us, no. I agree entirely. Uh, I wasn't yeah. that way at first either. I think I've gotten... I, th I think I've come leaps and bounds to much closer to the idea of allowing for a cinematic style. Um, you don't need to necessarily roll a check for every single thing. Yeah. And then also creating a world where players have obstacles to overcome mm -hmm. to come to victory. Um, where there's a chance that they could die if they fuck up. Yeah. Versus being combative i think i think one of the hardest struggles for me and for a lot of people in the transition once you figure that out i think one of the hardest transitions if you want to play this way is i know i still struggle with the idea that i struggle with the balance between the idea that i am not i'm not writing a story that other people are in right 
but I'm I also want to have enough of a story that they can do something, and that's a tough balance to find sometimes. It really super is yeah, because you don't want to what they call railroad. You don't want to say this is the story. This is what we're doing. I don't have anything else planned. You're gonna do what I say. Some people like that. I generally don't, and most of the people I play with, I don't feel like do. Agreed. Uh, and but you also don't want to go. You're in a town. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. What? Yeah, like you, you don't want to just have nothing. And no, it, so it's, you have to build tough. the skeleton and then put yeah. the muscles and the flesh on the skeleton. Yeah. It has to be, you know, most oftentimes you'll enter a, a town or a city and there will be at least one inn. You might have an armor smith. You may have a, a, a general blacksmith. You may be able to go as far as having armor weapons and uh, yeah. a, a shop where you can buy booster packs of um, spells if you are reading Order <laughs> of the Stick. And, <laughs> and, yeah. and so there's that. And... Uh, I, I have developed the ability to give you options to make decisions, and I'm actually, my background in acting and my, um, my appreciation for that art form allows me to improvise yeah. Impro- a lot. But Improvisation for, is so important. But I'm really, I'm, I'm pretty talented at when you guys aren't getting what the storyline is, when either I have failed to be able to adequately provide you with the path that you need to go on, or you all are just deciding that you don't want to do it, kind of finding ways to encourage that to happen. And finding ways doing that. Finding ways to bring it out of your character while your character would do it, not just because, this is the story! Yeah. But because, you know, you're a half-orc, and you're trying to find a place in the world... Uh, a place of acceptance and a place of meaning and and there is another half orc that is actually trying to give you this quest but nobody's paying attention so he will get he will approach the party he will have this discussion he and and the half orc recognizes the pain and the struggle that the quest giver is is communicating yeah so that will drive them to say you know what guys i really think we need to help this this person out and that then allows the entire party to begin on this adventure. And then, of course, one of the other more annoying things to happen for a game master literally happened to me last night. Um, so, unfortunately, you haven't been able to be part of this adventure, Colby. Uh, but it's been a blast uh, for the group of us that have been here so far. So much so that we all decided to come back the next night immediately to try to continue. Very nice. And, uh, yeah, it's... It, <laughs> I'm not trying to brag on myself here. I'm what I'm I'm trying to just communicate that I have a lot of fun with okay, nobody else wants to be the dungeon master. I'll jump in, I'll do it. Guys give me 20 minutes and I'll pick up a story that we'll be able to go with. I mean, I've I've literally done that. One of uh, one of the sessions that your Dario is from is uh didn't you essentially plagiarize some of that though? No. No, that was entirely my own creation. Oh, I thought you said that you had taken oh, some sorry, the, the pits, the pits, yes, but no, the the druid session that was literally just... So one of the sessions I made up was uh, they were playing poachers of magical creatures hunting a unicorn in a druid's grove. Yeah, let me be clear. That, Dario is a bastard. Oh, yeah. He, he, he is not a good guy. Yeah, but like it, I drew inspiration from uh, an episode of Critical Role where the characters were playing uh, thieves trying to break into a house and steal treasure. And at the end of the session, the DM... Uh, Liam O'Brien said, well, you guys wouldn't run an evil campaign, so I decided to run one. And it hadn't clicked with me that that's what they were doing, that oh. they were playing evil characters. And I don't think it clicked for most people. But that realization of that's how you do it. How do you get... Like, a lot of people try to run evil campaigns, and it doesn't work because everyone's just playing bastards being bastards to each other, and it doesn't generally work for very long right. or well. So I thought to myself... How can you engineer a situation where terrible people would have to work together, 
but not want to fight each other. And so I thought of this. You know, these guys are terrible people. They're poaching magical creatures from sacred lands to just harvest their organs. But so, just because we have a complete level of aloofness, if you will, if I, for lack of a better phrase, toward that particular sanctity, doesn't mean that we necessarily want to steal one another's kidneys while we're not paying attention. Exactly. Like, uh, you don't. you can be a terrible person and not be the Joker, like a cackling madman. Exactly. And that's something yeah, that... I agree. So, like, but the session was literally poachers, druid grove, unicorn. That was literally all I went into that session knowing as the dungeon master. I had the vague idea, I'm gonna harry them with traps and make it really creepy. Uh, I'm gonna try to... I'm gonna do my best to just describe the environment in a way that makes them uneasy yeah. so that they fill in the blanks themselves with whatever terrifies them. And from what I know of the session, it worked. I I took that one shot, and we ended up playing a couple more sessions with it that were really fun. I just really loved that character and wanted to be able to explore yeah. more of what I was able to do with him. But yeah. I agree, that went extremely well. Yeah, but like, so, um, so yeah, uh, one of the things that I've ended up trying to do, especially with campaigns that I don't have a long plot for, is I let my players tell me what I'm going to do. And I do the without, best that without I can. asking them. Like what what I'll do is like based on what people if I describe a situation based on the questions that people are asking me or what they they seem interested in, that's just what I'll start writing a story about. That's just what I'll start leading down. And if we don't have if it's not one of those situations, and sometimes if it is, but when most of the time when it's not a situation where we're just like you know what we want to play D anD D, it's eight o'clock. We want to start at nine. Hey Colby, develop an adventure. Um, <laughs> what I'll end up doing is. I will lace my backstory with open-ended, unfinished business. Oh, they're so good. For my, for my dungeon master to be able to pull off of, so that, like, I'm sure you have a great story, but here's a character who has a rich backstory that has so much open-ended shit that you can pull from at any time to involve or not involve. Oh, yeah. The, and it's rare uh, that I have a DM that does it, whether they're capable or it just doesn't fit in their story or whatever, but I still make that effort every single time because it, let's say you ever get stuck or hit writer's block or whatever you want to call it that now you have a storyline that will matter to at least one of your characters. Uh, and you could potentially create something that would matter to everyone. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and move forward with that. A lot of, a lot of people talk about this and uh, you're essentially the way, the way that I've heard described is you're handing the DM the knife. Yeah. You're handing the DM the knife to stab you with. And you're hoping that it's going to be in an interesting way. Like, <laughs> when it, it's it's cliche, but so often, you know, D&D characters will have dead parents. They come from these tragic backgrounds. Because any ties your character have can very easily be used against your character. Yep. So you have to have a certain level of trust with the DM that if they're going to use it against you, it's going to be interesting and dynamic and not just a device to railroad you into what they want. <laughs> Right. So what what brought us onto this tangent was me discussing one of the things that happened uh, that happens that can be really annoying as a dungeon master happened to me last night. So we started doing this adventure and um, just a brief history for you because you may not ever get a chance to hear about it, Colby. And I, uh, this is the perfect forum for me to share this stuff. Uh, so the adventurers had gone to um, an island. It was either an island or a peninsula. The for now I'm calling it an island. Yeah. And it's the last remnants of the Yuanti race. Okay. And they're there because... Yanti are snake people, by the way. Yeah. If you don't know. Yeah. 
Um, These I'm, things matter. I'm pretending like, uh, so I'm pretending as if the people who are listening know what they are, and if they don't, trying to give them an opportunity to ask questions. But thank you for answering. If, if it was live, I would appreciate that a little bit more, but well, we can't talk directly later. to them. Yeah, so. We're going to have a thing in the thing so that they can. Yeah, but we can later. Okay. Anyway. For now, for so now a little backstory. And um, for now, uh, in this particular world, they have not been able to procreate in a long time. Okay. So we're potentially looking at the last. They were sent to this area by the king as emissaries in a conservation effort because one of them laid an egg. Okay. And the egg is getting close to being able to hatch. And it has been sworn. Uh, there's a cult of the shadow of the dawn or something to that effect okay. that want to come and they have sworn that they will butcher whatever comes out of this egg. Okay. Because the end of the Ubonti is... Like prophesied yeah, or something. Yeah, Something like that. Uh, so they were sent to make sure that doesn't happen. And the king is trying to gain some kind of favor with that force because especially if they aren't going extinct, they're a powerful force to, to have on your yeah. side. They're magical beings with ties to ancient races and magic and other planes. It's important. Right. So... They show up, they're there, things are happening, the egg starts to crack. So everybody's super excited, as much as, like, because Yuan-Ti are essentially a void of emotion, but whatever passes for Yuan-Ti uh, excitement is happening here. And then, only one of them makes their perception check, gets an extremely cold feeling in the pit of their stomach. Uh -huh. And all of the Yuan-Ti that are not the abominations, that mm -hmm. there's two abominations that are wrapped around the egg, which are assumed yeah. to be the parents. Yeah. All of the other versions of the Yuan-Ti that happen to be around are like writhing and falling on the ground and screaming in pain. And when they all stop, it becomes very, very silent. They stand. Their bodies have become far more frail and emaciated than what they were previously. Mm -hmm. And each one of their faces now end in four tentacles. <laughs> Okay. And it's that moment that a portal from another plane opens up and a mind flayer steps through. Mm. The, the egg hatches and a gross amalgamation of Yanti and mind flayer emerges from the egg and lets out an ear-splitting scream. Everybody was forced to make a constitution saving throw. One of them made it. Two of the three party members falls unconscious. One of them stays conscious enough to be able to watch every single being around their head explode. And the Mind Flayer opens a portal behind itself, underneath the creature that was born. They blink out of existence. Mm. Okay. They wake up. They're shitting their pants. They probably just viewed the end of the world. They need to go warn the king. Yeah. So they hightail it for the ship. They yeah. get on the ship. And um, they're traveling for a couple of days, calming down, becoming acclimated to life on a ship for a, for a couple of weeks back to where they're going. Yeah. Uh, the problem is that they notice almost immediately that the ship's not going in the right direction. Okay. And one of them is a paladin dragonborn. Dragonborn mm -hmm. being a race of people who um, are humanoid, but have draconic-like heads, scales, claws. Not wings, though. No. And tails. They, they, are, lar they are large, essentially lizard men. They're, but yeah, they are I, not I, lizard men. No, but they... For someone who doesn't know, they are essentially it's a large dragon. Person. Yeah, they are large lizard men who are descended from dragons rather than actual lizards. Right. So um, that's what they are, and they're a paladin. Yeah. And they're like, "Yo, we need to go back to the king. We need to let them know what's going on." And the captain was like, "No, nah, it's all good." And he's like, "No, we need to do this." And he's like, "Listen, Bahamut said, this is what we're doing." Was, all right. So they sat down. 
<laughs> I mean, when your God tells you that this is the path, uh, no matter who it's through, you're going to listen. So they're traveling for a couple of days. It gets to be about nighttime on one such random day. And a ship begins to approach. And when they finally are able to see the ship, it makes no sense whatsoever that this ship is still floating because there are giant rot holes in the hull. The, the sh uh, sails are in tatters. It doesn't make any sense. Gotcha. Um, the paladin is able to successfully notice that there is... They can smell undead. Yeah. And then the ghosts attack. Okay. Now, this battle, we, we didn't have a long play session available, so yeah. uh, this was supposed to be a battle that was going to take up most of the play session, where I was going to hit him with a little hook for the end of it. Okay, this is what's going to happen next time. And, and that we were going to call it a night. Yeah. Till the fucking paladin turns undead. <laughs> that was it! Yeah. It got around to the paladin's turn, and they're like, turn undead. Yeah. And turn undead in 5th edition works in such a way where it, they're all, and they all failed their save, of course, <laughs> uh, where they're all wildly frightened of the thing that turned them. Yeah. So they had nowhere to go. So it was either run around in circles on the ship or go back on their ship and leave and what makes the most sense. So a fight that was meant to last it, like IRL time <laughs> like a good 30 minutes lasted like five because she's just like turn on dead and they're like ah and left and got on their <laughs> ship and, and just left and then it made no sense whatsoever for how I was going to gift them their rewards but I did it anyway where the captain of the ship the, the black tide mm -hmm. uh, rolls up uh, they left and then he reappears on the deck and Paladin is like oh yeah is this how this is gonna go and he's like yo calm down puts a chest down, and leaves. And they're just gone. So they get this chest of rewards because they effectively defeated them because she's just like, leave now. Yeah. I, and that can be so frustrating. You could spend hours upon hours formulating a dungeon and a boss fight and mm. a whole thing, and you can get one person who manages to think of the thing that you didn't... Mm. Oh, excuse me, that you didn't think of, and that you, like... Uh, just like a special mechanic or just, there's just like turn on dead yeah. and now your entire horde of zombies doesn't matter. Uh, in, in similar vein, I have, I probably one of the things I am legendary for aside from my own terrible roles is the ludicrous speed with which my boss fights get ended. Um, <laughs> I have had three times in like, in the, in the whole time I've been playing Dungeons and Dragons, I have had three like, End of a, an arc boss fight and within two rounds. Is that true? Yes. Um, Have I been part of one of those? Yes. Yes, you were. If I you think, were... oh, because everybody critical. Yeah. yeah. Everybody rolled natural 20s. It was ridiculous. Uh-huh. Uh, that was actually a, a pretty fun campaign, honestly. Uh, I ran a campaign. We've played a lot of campaigns where people play monsters because it's interesting. Uh, but... We were, we were playing a campaign where everyone was a monster and you were essentially the the monsters in a coliseum. And you guys were running through a bunch... Like, essentially, it was just a really easy way to just have a bunch of fights because we had people who just wanted to fight and that's why they played D&D. &D. And it was a, it was a thematic way... Uh, this is why I wrote this this way. Yeah. I thought it was actually really clever because it gave a reason for there to always be another fight, always be another interesting fight. Is that my thread cream? That uh, <laughs> I was about to get into. So, yes! uh, so, so in this, uh, I played up this whole sort of Spartacus style story where you guys With there far was less a, dick. 
Yeah, uh, I hope so. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was it was a super interesting story. I felt where you guys were playing sort of Spartacus style uh, slave liberators, working within this coliseum to free the other creatures and people enslaved here, and eventually overthrew the sort of mageocracy that was in control of this uh, coliseum and the city and things like that. And the enemy was a very very high level mage who yep. it was it was tough like this guy if he had gotten a turn could have killed <laughs> every single one any one of them if not all of them in a single round the problem is that um my players have wonderful luck when it's their turns <laughs> and i have a boss so one of the things that you need to know that led to the ludicrous amount of damage that came down onto my boss fight and killed him is Jeremy, who sits across from me, chuckling into his hand so it's not in his microphone, uh, was playing a character no whose race was known as a Thrykree, and they are slightly psionic, so telekinetic bug people. Yep. Uh, they have six arms. Only two of them are really usable. The other two are, are semi-vestigial, like they can use them, but they can't, like, There's wield six it. Six limbs with four arms. Uh, yes. What, whatever it was. They had multiple... Actually, no, I think it was six arms. They no, specifically have I'm, six I'm arms and two sure legs. I'm pretty sure it's four, but I'm about to find out. Okay. But uh, they had multiple arms, and only two of them could be used for, like, wielding a weapon and whatnot. But... Uh, sort of the, the things about 3.5 where there was a rule where for every arm you had added to a weapon, you got half again the, your strength bonus. Four arms, two legs. Okay. But you got half again your strength bonus in damage onto your attacks for larger weapons. So in this case, he had a spear with all four of his arms on it. So instead of just the one, ju instead of just his strength bonus to damage, that he would get for one-handed, strength and a half for two, he had two and a half times his strength bonus on damage. But wait, there's combined more. Combined with his <laughs> uh, his class, for anyone who knows, was a sword sage. You already know exactly what the problems are with the sword sage. I need to say no problems, more. Problems, quote-unquote. <laughs> yes, uh, the... There's a book called The Book of the Nine Swords, which is... Greatest wild. book ever written. Tome of Battle, <laughs> FTW. Which, again, the reason he thinks is the greatest book ever <laughs> is it was wildly imbalanced. Uh, it wasn't wildly unbalanced. Wonderfully yeah. fun and flavorful, but wildly imbalanced. That's an uh, exaggeration. Your hyperbole is showing. Regularly recognized as a problem book. Really? In, in the community. Is it really? Yes. Well, it, people, people are just whiny. Because three point five was already bloated enough, and that and that those books still stand out as being particularly too fucked up. But that book was so much fun <laughs> it, for so many reasons. It was. You know but, what I will say though. But here's Five, the thing. Fifth edition has managed to integrate some of my favorite things in a very intelligent way. Yes. So the character he was playing had an. Uh, this class uses things called uh, maneuvers. So they are essentially magic that isn't magic. So they are using their weapons in a way that taps into mystical energy without casting spells. Yep. And one of the uh, one of the maneuvers he had was called Claw at the Moon. From the Tiger Claw From discipline. the Tiger Claw discipline. And what it was was instead of rolling an attack, you made a jump check, and your jump check became your attack roll. Now why was that broken? Uh, and th the reason this became a problem is that Thrykreen, <laughs> being bug people based on 
praying mantises and other insects have a plus 30 to their <laughs> jump There check. was no AC that Colby could throw up against us that I couldn't pierce that wouldn't be unfair for the rest of the party. Which there was he, none. Which he also uh, got a higher critical threat range on with two and a half times his strength bonus. Yep. So he hit... Every time, got bonus damage, got a ton of damage from his... Uh, hit like a fucking ballistic missile. It yeah, was insane. He, he, he basically became a purple a uh, purple dragon knight from Final Fantasy. Yeah. Jump up in the air, just drive that spear into whatever I wanted to, and they wound up feet into the earth. Very dead. There was just no, nothing. Yeah, that, that. That, was God, a, that was so much fun. Uh, another campaign that you weren't a part of, this one was at college. Um, I got to the end of the adventure, and there was... A half-orc, uh, an evil half-orc uh, shaman slash cleric, whatever it was at the time, I forget, standing on top of a pillar, and he's, like, third or fourth level, and all of my players are first level at this point. I had four or five. Yeah, so he's strong, and he, they, they all walk into this room, I do the introduction, and the half-elf ranger is just like, I charge him. Okay, you make it this far. I, I use my attack to move closer. All right, you are five. You you are now ten feet away from him. Your turn is done. He walks up to you, grinning, lifts his hammer, critical miss, no, and hits himself in the kneecap. Oh. Uh, well, that was your first mistake right there. Was making self-deprecating critical misses. A critical miss is, doesn't have to be anything more than a guaranteed no, but, fail. No, but he rolled a second one. Oh, get out of here! Because Colby. my luck is terrible. Yeah, cool. Uh, <laughs> I rolls in the history of um, mankind. Uh, so, th so that happens. Next round, the dwarf loads his crossbow, critical hit. Uh, the, the, um, the wizard casts a cantrip that critical hit. Uh, Jesus. Uh, and then the elf goes, if, it, uh, everyone else hits, not everyone criticals, but at least three people did. Then it's the elf turn, elf's turn, uh, has two weapons, attacks with both, crits with both dead. <laughs> Oh, gosh, you just can't. Yeah, now, you know what, though? I'm going to let my hyperbole flag fly for a little bit. I'm calling every ounce of this comeuppance. Uh, here's the thing. Now, if I it, back <laughs> off and, I, and I'm being honest, I feel like a little bit of it is karma. Maybe not all of it. But I would say that the great spirits of the die roll are angry with you, Colby, <laughs> because you have not yet seeked uh, redemption I, for your misgivings. I have sought redemption. My, so one of the adventures, one of Colby's first forays in my being a very dungeon first master, dungeon master adventure. Um, uh, so we all understood the game well enough to know that how to manipulate it in certain ways in 3.5 to give us some pretty gross ad advantages. Especially ma uh, manipulating the fact that I, as both a very new player, new friend to the group, and very new dungeon master, didn't understand the mechanics very well, and a couple things got... Uh, you were very verbose about the idea that you thought you understood the mechanics better than anybody else at that point, though. No, I, no, I understood certain things better. But anyway, so... My, one of our mutual friends and I decided we were going to make two characters to play in a little mini-adventure. I was going to create a crit critical hit specialist, and the other one was going to create a uh, cleric. That It was like a battle cleric. He had some healing. I think he was a druid. Was he a druid? He was a okay. druid. So he had, I remember he had yeah, super Yeah, he really liked healing. druids. And, uh, well, I mean, they were the most overpowered class in the entire oh, thing. They really are. They still are. I, I know. 
because, you know, you can be a bear with a pet bear who summons magic bears while riding a bear and shoot lightning from your eyes the whole time. Exactly. <laughs> so, and that's not an over-exaggeration at all, which is strange. Uh, so anyway, my critical hit specialist, because I was a half-giant, I was able to wield a large, they have something called powerful build that lets you wield a weapon that's one size category larger, which means greater damage. Then I was able to take uh, very specific and specialized feats, which thankfully, due to balancing issues, 5th edition has nipped in the butt, um, or nipped in the bud is it? I believe the phrase actually is. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, it, it let me use a scythe that normally criticaled on a 20 at a times 4. Now it criticaled on like a 13 or a 15 Thir at like a times 7. It was a 15 to, 15 to 20 at a times 7. This was, again, I was misapplying a, level, a couple of Yeah, yeah, misapplying a couple rules, But we were 5th level. 5th level. I was dealing 250 damage in one swing. 150. Was it 150? Yeah. yeah. So, so Colby, not really figuring... Not First of all, none of us quite understanding that the job of a DM is to allow a player to do this sort of thing to a certain extent to enjoy their time, but then also not really knowing what he was going to throw up against us, reads an entry on a particular monster that says it's immune to critical hits. So now my ridiculous over weapon goes from this thing that will cut anything down to the ability to deal two die, da two die four damage, and it's fighting something that that's challenge rating is enormously higher than ours, and we were slaughtered absolutely slaughtered and the the utter injustice of that scenario leads me to say you sir are reaping what you have sown <laughs> <laughs> yes, but is it really that different from an from the army of vampire kobolds you threw us up against listen that was intentional you guys just were because it was intentional doesn't mean it was good it was good because you were going to become vampires no one wanted that I don't you care. wanted that i know that was <laughs> the point that was a far bigger dick move than getting than getting a little upset and trying to throw a challenge at you i disagree because my my move was meant to further a storyline yours was meant to kill us no my uh I mis I misrepresented considering the things you were killing. I combined. I need to upgrade the challenge with this, and I need to fight something that has a bit of an advantage. And I happened to do both at the same time in a way that wasn't fair. It was intentional. It was not. <laughs> I submit that it was intentional. So, um, are there any other kind of favorite moments that we haven't gone over that you wanted to talk about? Anything that you could think of that you uh, did? You know what one of my favorite moments are that you hate? Oh, I, I know I, I know a long series of moments that are your favorite that I hate. What? You, there, we had a campaign where I was playing a knight. That's exactly we, <laughs> we, we were playing... That's exactly I know. where I was going. Oh, I knew. Trust oh, me, I knew. So, good. so we were playing a campaign in which I was playing a knight, a mounted knight. And my my entire build and shtick was that I was wielding a one-handed ranged weapon that I would charge into battle, get in the middle of everyone, and any time they tried to move, I had special feats and abilities where I could hit them no matter what, any number of times in a round, and then if I hit them, they would stop moving and they couldn't go anywhere. It was really smart. It was really Except smart. The fact that I decided and to play a druid who was an evocation specialist. And, and an asshole. And an asshole. Totally an asshole. So I he... warned everybody. I'm like, look, guys, this is what's going to happen. My saber-toothed tiger, who's my animal companion, will be protecting me. He's not going to protect you because he doesn't care about you. He's my animal companion. That's logical. That's Furthermore, fine. Furthermore, I'm going to be using evocation spells on our enemies. If you 
you want me to participate in the fights, that's how this is going to go. Unfortunately, Colby consistently went first in the initiative, so Colby, tra-la-la, runs in there on whatever mount he happens to be on and strikes the enemy. That sounds great, until I drop an avalanche of four foot of solid snow on them. And, of course, the, the druid, not giving a shit about me, doesn't plan this out in such a manner to not hit me, which he very well could have done. Eh, most of the time. Yeah, but but it was... It, he, his character cared more about hitting one more enemy than not hitting me. That's fair. So and after, which, which after made I him killed, a dick. After he and killed the also, first I was going to say, here's <laughs> the thing. The, the problem is that I was more than capable of surviving this damage. Which he I knew. didn't mind. My horse was not... So the reason he used the phrase whichever mount I had at the time was because no less than five times during that adventure, my mount was killed. My horse died. Go back to town. Get a new horse. My horse died. DM gives me a dire lion. My dire lion dies. DM gives me a triceratops. My triceratops dies. The DM finally fucking gives me an unkillable demon horse that turns into a statue if it dies so that he stops having to do this shit. It's Because he got tired of RPing it. It's entirely And he true. then killed that multiple times too, but at least I had the statue. And, and after the first couple died, he got really upset over the avalanche even though that was my favorite spell, so I promised to stop casting the avalanche spell. So instead, I started casting Vortex of Teeth. <laughs> no, no you didn't. Uh, and you Dinosaur start, Train. I was gonna say, you started casting Dinosaur Stampede. Stampede. Dinosaur Stampede. Dinosaur Train. Yeah, no, that's what you asked. Oh, oh, he hated that. He hated dinosaur, that so much. Dinosaur Stampede, so literally a, a, a stampede of dinosaurs made of pure force magic would just charge through like a 30-foot area and kill, just stay, trample everything in their path. And also Vortex of Teeth, which did something similar. It was just a force it, vortex that tore things up. Uh, no, it was a giant spinning tornado of force piranhas. Well, that was the illustration, but it wasn't... Or it was just a giant vortex of actual shark teeth, Yeah, if just, you wanted just it. Like, just biting mouths, yes. and it tore whatever happened to be in the area up. Oh, man, it was the so il good. The illustration in the book, by the way, is really awesome. It's like a giant dragon being torn apart by Black tiny... Dragon. Yep. My tiny spectral fish, it's great. Yeah, it's awesome. Oh, man, that was a blast. Yeah, that was one of my favorite moments, I think, ever. Honestly, that campaign... My character in that campaign is probably one of my favorite as far as, like, a character arc goes. Yeah. Because one of the weird things for that character was that he kept... Kept repeatedly getting mind-controlled. Like, no matter yeah. what the situation was... I would always fail the will save to not get mind Somebody controlled. Somebody got a MacGyver point for the way that they, like, disarmed uh, you or whatever. Eric. Eric did. Because what he did was, uh, during the final boss fight, it happened again, and my character got mind controlled by the uh, former, like, lord of this town who had been corrupted by a succubus. Uh, and my character got mind controlled, walked out behind him with eyes red on a giant demon horse who was not the horse who I had. Like, I just had a regular horse as my mount. This demon horse later became my mount because it was easier for the DM. <laughs> um, uh, but the character recognizing that this mount has something to do with my mind control, um, the character, uh, our friend Eric, comes up and, I'd like to disarm. Okay, you can take his his you can take his lance. No, I don't want to disarm Colby of his lance. I want to disarm the horse of its rider. Yeah. He he disarmed the horse by tearing me off of it. Uh 
The rules manipulation could have been argued, but it was one of those rule of cool things where it was super clever and super interesting and he tore me off of the horse to which Jer's tiger then leapt upon me about to kill me uh, because betrayal, betrayal, betrayal. Yeah. Not on his part, on my character's part, I betrayed them, blah. Uh, and another really interesting thing that happened in that arc was that his... Uh, like, there was nothing... Like, Jer and I were trying to talk. I was like, okay, I'm not controlled anymore. And Jer's just like, yeah, my character doesn't know that. His tiger doesn't know that. Right. You tried to kill him, you're gonna die. Uh, like, I'm sorry, there's nothing you can do. And anything you say isn't going to work because we think you're mind-controlled. And so I'm like, okay. In my head, I'm just like, okay, my character's a knight. He's a good person. Like, he knows that if he fights back they could lose this battle. Like, I, I want to be there to help, and if I'm not there, we could lose, but it's worse if I hurt them. So I, my character just tried to escape the grapple, which he couldn't do because giant died saber-toothed tiger. Saber-toothed tiger. Um, <laughs> and then, to my surprise, on Jer's next round, the tiger gets off and goes to combat, and, I'm, and Jer's just like, you did exactly what you needed to, because if you had struck back, he would have killed you. You didn't, which meant that you weren't fighting anymore. Right. Yep. Which uh, And so it was just, it was this weird culmination of there wasn't any, like, huge singular moment, or he wasn't, like, supremely, oh, I realize what my most legendary character is now. Sorry, backtracking yeah, to that sure. in a minute. But it was just this slow burn progression of character development and interesting plot points and just these things that kept happening that make him one of my favorites. But probably my most legendary character, the one that I think, once I bring him up, I think you'll remember immediately... Uh, we were playing an epic ca campaign, and I was playing a a Phrenic, which is a type of psionic, stone giant knight, who mm. who cast an ability to clone himself, and we were going on after this keep that was being besieged by orcs, and... Yep. And uh, Jer's character... We, we talked for a while about what we were going to do. Jer's character flitted into the castle as a ninja, um... And a couple of the other characters snuck in to do what they needed to do, but there were soldiers at the castle dying. I, and I'm a knight. I really liked knights in 3.5. Uh, sue me. Uh, oh, yeah, I remember this. Yes. Because I also remember we all, like, yelled at you. Because yes. you did just the big dumb. Yes, but it worked. Because, because my character literally... Wait, my character was a stone giant, so he's literally, like, 40 feet tall. He's a big ass. Uh, and he's wielding a sword that, with his reach, had an ability where I could kill... If I killed something, I could attack again. And I literally killed everything in, like, a 40-foot wide arc and had another ability where anytime I killed something in addition to that, I could take a 5-foot step. So I took my entire movement 40 feet through these armies of orcs, cutting a 40-foot wide path the entire way, both me and the psionic clone that I had made. So there was a, an 80-foot wide swath of dead people around us as we made our way into these soldiers to help defend them and stop the army from breaking into the keep to stop you guys from doing what you needed to do. Right. And the turn... So this goes on for a while, and we are losing. Like, at the battle outside, my character is dying, the soldiers are dying. The turn... After the turn before I die, you guys finished whatever you were doing. I don't even remember what it specifically was, but my character, th my actual character died. His psionic clone used one of his abilities to teleport all the remaining soldiers away to safety. 
And how the ability worked was that essentially became my new character. But it was just su- such an epic moment, like where everything worked out right perfectly yeah. for like that martyr moment. It was great. Yeah, that's yeah, God. It was so much fun. Yeah. Uh, we we could probably talk about D anD D for literally years. I mean, just especially the, just the D anD D we've played. Yeah, especially alone, because like, the we had so many more little mini adventures that we're all running, and I feel like there's one or two that we feel are like the main adventure, but getting the whole group together because of all of our, our responsibilities and adulting can be a challenge. Yeah, um, and times. So, oh, yeah. time is the worst. It really is, uh, we, especially with those of us who have to get up early, and it's just it's yeah. a bitch sometimes. We, but, we normally don't get to play until, like, 11 o'clock at night or later, yep. which limits what we can do. Exactly. Uh, but I really feel like we can talk about this forever, and I do want to touch a little bit on what we are presently doing, even though we already talked about that, uh, but we're going to talk about that next episode. So uh, thank you guys so much for joining us for this uh, round of discussion on Dungeons and Dragons. I promise it's the first of many because even though when we started discussing this podcast I had said maybe we should only talk about some of our favorite stuff once and then leave it alone, I promise we're going to end up revisiting this stuff. There's no way we can't. Um, we are going to spend some time next episode just discussing a little bit of what we're doing right now in D&D and um, maybe some of our homebrew stuff like the Pangration Kick and whatnot. <laughs> Oh, that could be... Oh, man. Oh, yeah. Uh, so at that, make sure that you uh, like uh, and subscribe to us and all that kind of good stuff and all the appropriate places, which I'll go into more detail with later. But whatever feels good to you, I'll make sure I put links in the thing for the thing for you to click. And, um, yeah, so thank you very much, and we'll talk to you guys next time. And you can keep in touch with the podcast. Send us an email, magnificentwhiskers at gmail.com. You can reach out to us on Instagram. We are Whiskers Podcast. And on Twitter, we're at MagWhisk. I am at RemyX0. You can reach out to Colby using at LavenderEyes91. And thank you once again. We'll see you next time.